To shingles, age isn't just a number. Do you have patients 50 or older? They're at higher risk of getting shingles. Don't wait. Talk about Shingrix with your patients over 50 today. Shingrix is indicated for the prevention of herpes zoster, HZ, or shingles in adults 50 years of age or older. Consult a product monograph at gsk.ca slash shingrix slash pm for contraindications, warnings, and precautions, adverse reactions, interactions, dosing, and administration information. To request a product monograph or to report an adverse event, please call 1-800-387-7374. Learn more at thinkshingrix.ca. This episode is brought to you by Audi Canada. The Canadian Medical Association has partnered with Audi Canada to offer CMA members preferred incentive on select vehicle models. Purchase any new qualifying Audi model and receive an additional cash incentive based on the purchase type. Details of the incentive program can be found at audiprofessional.ca. Explore the full line of vehicles available to suit your lifestyle. The Audi driving experience is like no other. Many teenagers live with pain during their periods. It can disrupt attendance in school sports, or social commitments, and is generally uncomfortable to live with. And sometimes the pain, or dysmenorrhea, has another more serious cause that warrants further investigation by a specialist. I'm Dr. Shannon Charlebois, Editorial Fellow for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Olga Kachuk and Dr. Sari Kivas. They're joining me today to talk about dysmenorrhea in adolescence, how to manage the pain, and how to diagnose it. They co-authored a practice article published in CMAJ. I've reached them in Toronto. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Can you each tell me a bit about who you are, starting with you, Olga? My name is Olga Kachuk. I'm a fourth-year resident in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Toronto, and I have a special interest in working with children and teens around gynecologic and reproductive health. And my name is Sari Kivas, and I'm a gynecologist in Toronto, both at the Hospital for Sick Children and St. Michael's Hospital, and I have a special interest in pediatric and adolescent gynecology. Thank you both for coming. How common is pain or dysmenorrhea during periods in teens? So dysmenorrhea, as we know, refers to pain with menstruation, and the prevalence in adolescence is high. Estimates range as high as 50 to 90 percent. Importantly, we know from the literature that this can have a significant functional impact on teens. It is the most common cause of absenteeism from school for teens who menstruate, but it's also associated with what's known as presenteeism, where young people are there at school or activities, but they feel that their concentration or their performance are worse because of period pain. In fact, in a recent survey, more than one third of adolescents reported that they missed at least one day of school in the last three menstrual cycles because of period pain. And the rates for missing physical activity or sports were even higher at almost 50%. This just goes to show that painful periods are not just a nuisance, not just inevitable, but can really interfere with academic and social functioning during what we know is a very formative time. In the article, you introduced the concept of primary versus secondary dysmenorrhea. Could you take us through what primary dysmenorrhea is and what are its causes? Primary dysmenorrhea refers to menstrual pain in the absence of pelvic pathology. And this makes up the vast majority of cases of dysmenorrhea among adolescents. So very characteristically occurs with ovulatory cycles, so usually within 6 to 12 months of menarche. And when you look at the pathophysiology, it's mediated by an excess of inflammatory markers. So prostaglandins or leukotrienes within the endometrial tissue of the uterus. What are some of the disorders or pathologies that could cause pain in the form of secondary dysmenorrhea? 
So when we think about secondary dysmenorrhea, this refers to menstrual pain associated with some form of pelvic pathology. For the adolescent, the most common cause of secondary dysmenorrhea is endometriosis. But other conditions which can also lead to pain with menstruation include a malarian anomaly, such as a non-communicating uterine horn, or a congenital obstructive malformation, such as a microperforate hymen. But other things that you need to keep in your differential include the possibility of infection or even ovarian cysts. What are the steps in determining if a patient has primary or secondary dysmenorrhea? So obtaining a detailed history is a key first step. There are certain features on history that should raise a flag for care providers to consider further workup for secondary dysmenorrhea. These features would include things like onset immediately with menarche, progressively worsening dysmenorrhea, irregular bleeding with pain, family or personal history of renal or other congenital abnormalities, mid-cycle or acyclic pain, dyspareunia, or a family history of endometriosis. And these features are all listed in our CMAJ article. But an important point that's both broadly applicable, but also especially helpful when providing virtual care is that empiric treatment with NSAIDs and hormonal medication can be started before any specific diagnosis is made. And in fact, in a situation where no secondary dysmenorrhea features are present, starting treatment and assessing response can provide clues as to whether further workup is needed. As a GP, if any of these flags are raised, and I suspect secondary dysmenorrhea may be the issue, what are the next steps in my workup? When you're suspecting secondary dysmenorrhea, at this point, a physical exam should be considered. I know in the time of COVID, we've been doing a lot of virtual care and doing a lot of prescriptions over the phone. But at this point, I think that the adolescent should be assessed. And this may include a pelvic exam if the patient is amenable to this, or even an abdominal or rectal exam can be helpful to assess the anatomy. However, I believe that liberal use of the ultrasound should be ordered to assess the anatomy of the reproductive structures, particularly if they are not comfortable with a pelvic exam. As a GP, if you're suspecting secondary dysmenorrhea and you've completed a physical exam and you still are uncertain, referral to a gynecologist should be considered at this point. When investigating a teenager, do ultrasounds have to be ordered transvaginally? I think that's a really good question. In fact, for most adolescents, we perform the ultrasound transabdominally and do obtain good information. In Toronto, we're very lucky to work at, um, at the Hospital for Sick Children, where they're very comfortable doing ultrasounds on adolescents. So sometimes if you're having difficulty getting an ultrasound in an adolescent patient, you may consider referral to the children's hospital where they're more comfortable getting good images on the adolescent or teen. Let's talk about pain management. What are the different options and are there any that are recommended over others? So first-line treatment of dysmenorrhea is the use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications, which are highly effective. They have a number needed to treat of only three when used appropriately for primary dysmenorrhea. Now, appropriate use means using them on a short-term prophylactic basis, cyclically, in order to decrease the excess prostaglandin levels that we talked about earlier. This means using full-strength NSAID doses on a regular schedule with no skipped administrations, and starting them one to two days before menses onset, if that's predictable, or at the first sign of bleeding or pain, and continuing these medications for the first two to three days of bleeding. 
The strategy we tend to recommend to our patients is not to wait until the pain is unbearable, until they're curled up in bed already, but to try to get ahead of the pain with this prophylactic dosing schedule. Between naproxen, ibuprofen, and other NSAIDs, all are equally effective for menstrual pain. And we do always remind our patients that NSAIDs should be taken with food in order to minimize gastrointestinal side effects. If the patient is having breakthrough pain, adding acetaminophen can also be a good option, interchanging regularly dosed NSAIDs with acetaminophen. Is there a role here for oral contraceptive pills or hormonal intrauterine devices to help manage the pain? Definitely. So if, in fact, the NSAIDs that you prescribed have not worked, you may change over to hormonal medication. But hormonal medication can also be considered as first-line treatment, particularly if the teen has a need for contraception. For teens who have no contraindication to estrogen, the combined oral contraceptive pill, patch, or ring are an option, with a number needed to treat of only five for primary dysmenorrhea. When choosing a combined oral contraceptive for an adolescent patient, I believe that all pills are really created equal. However, more recently, formulations with ethanol estradiol doses above 30 micrograms are ideally chosen for the maintenance of bone health. When I'm starting a combined oral contraceptive pill, I traditionally start it cyclically for the first month. However, using the combined oral contraceptive pill continuously or in an extended fashion has been shown to provide better relief of dysmenorrhea than standard cyclic dosing long-term. Other hormonal options would be progestin-based treatments. For example, the levonorgestrel IUD or the etonorgestrel implant, which was newly improved in Canada as of 2020. Both of these treatments are also associated with decreased rates of dysmenorrhea and are safe and effective for the teens who are looking for a long-acting option and effective contraception. This is wonderful information to have available for GPs. If any teenagers are listening, what would you want us to say to them? What we would hope that you've gained from today's discussion and from our article is that teens don't have to suffer with period pain. There are a lot of effective medication options to help avoid pain during periods and avoid missing school, missing social activities because of it. Don't hesitate to talk to your family doctor. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for having us. I've been speaking with Dr. Olga Kachuk and Dr. Sari Kivas. To read the article they co-authored, visit cmaj.ca. Also, don't forget to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on SoundCloud or a podcast app. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating. I'm Dr. Shannon Charlebois, Editorial Fellow for CMAJ. Thank you for listening.